ladies and gentlemen, um, can I welcome you to our Oxford annual Africa lecture. It's a great pleasure to welcome you and to welcome our speaker, Professor Mamadou Diouf, who joins us this evening uh, from Columbia University. Uh, I've known Mamadou uh, for many years myself through our mutual friend Fred Cooper, I think first introduced us, and it's a great pleasure to be able to welcome him to Oxford this evening. Um, he now serves as director of the Institute of African Studies at uh, Columbia University, where he's been for the last couple of years, um, and uh, has been telling me in these last, this last day or two about the work that's been done there to reconstruct African Studies and uh, revise its programs. And I think we're hoping in future years that we might build some connections between our African Studies adventures here in Oxford and those things that uh, Mamadou and his colleagues are doing in Colombia. Um, Mamadou holds a, a PhD in African history from the University of Paris-Sorbonne. Uh, and before taking up his current position in Colombia, he taught at the University of Michigan for many years and before that at Sheikh Antediop University in Dakar, Senegal. Uh, Mamadou is a very active published scholar. Uh, he's been on the advisory board of several leading journals, including Public Culture, which he is still very active on, and also the Journal of African History. And he's published several quite important books uh, on the construction of the state in Senegal, uh, on the wider history of Senegal, also uh, an edited collection on rhythms of the Atlantic world, and most recently in this past year, uh, edited collection entitled New Perspectives on Islam in Senegal. So Mamadou has a very, very wide range of interests. He is, I think, quite rightly heralded as one of Africa's leading living historians, and I think the range and breadth of his work adequately reflects that praise. His uh, topic tonight is Islam, the Originaires, and the Making of the Public Space in a Colonial City, St. Louis of Senegal. I hand you over to our speaker, Professor Mamadou Diouf. Thank you very much, David. And let me begin by thanking the African Studies Center to invite me to share my research with you. And I'm confident that your questions and comments will help me refine my approach and improve this paper. Uh, my presentation is part of a larger project I have been working on with my colleague Fred Cooper, which was mentioned by David, who is from New York University. We have been exploring the issue of citizenship in the French colonial empire, and we define such citizenship as imperial citizenship. Fred Cooper is working on the post-World War II, and I am focusing on the early period, uh, roughly from the French Revolution to World War II, to try to identify ways in which the discussion is framed, the references used by the people who are participating in this discussion and their own understanding of what is the French empire on one hand and on the other, what is a citizenship. So why the French Revolution? Because the French Revolution is the key reference for the African and mixed-blood people living in San Luis. I will come back to that. They call from themselves the habitants, which translated into English is the inhabitants or the natives. And this definition relates to the other inhabitants of the colony, which are, which are the French. So claiming a status of native enabled them actually to frame the types of rights they are 
are, are looking for. So what I'm interested in is how the French Revolution is actually providing resources to this originaire to make claims. As you know, the French Revolution and the grand narrative of citizenship and freedom was premised on the very fact that it was a revolution against privileges. So these inhabitants will use that precisely to open up a space for themselves in a colonial city. So, so what I'm interested in is how the resources of the French Revolution are mixed with indigenous resources and institutions to frame, to, to configure, if you wish, the public space. And in this case, the most important elements of the indigenous resources and institution is Islam. How Islam is translated administratively, economically, how it is located within legal structures and framework, how it is informing practices, it's what I'm interested in on one hand, and on the other, how also it's actually uh, uh, influencing the system of government. Uh, I need to make a first theoretical stop here to, 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 to say that I'm making a distinction between administration and government. Things are administered. Colonial subjects are usually administered. They are not governed. I understand government has a way of representing people who are governed. When you are governed, you are represented. When you are administered, you are not. And in this case, it's something important. Because between government and administration, the main resource which will frame, actually, ways in which these people will relate to the colonial, uh, to the colonial system is precisely how Islam is included or excluded in the colonial architecture. The other reference they will be using, and which is an important one, is linked to World War II, uh, World War I, excuse me, and the participation of the originaire in World War I. Actually, what the world did is to provide new opportunities for the originaire to legally formalize their citizenship outside the civil code, with in particular the adoption of the 1916 law, which is known as the Blessian Law. Very quickly, it's important to insist on that because it has an impact on both the French master narrative about republicanism and citizenship, which is still going on, uh, in which the French are saying that the French republicanism has never accommodated religion, which in this case is absolutely untrue, without crown, because what they did actually was not only to accommodate Islam, but to incorporate Islamic institution within the French public space. And, and, and why is it important? Is it important precisely because what defines French citizenship is the civil code. When you are granted citizenship, when you are naturalized, first it is an individual act which makes you a French. Second, it's into, it's puts you under the French civil code. In this case, the 1916 law is a collective law which is granting citizenship to a whole community, the community of the originaire, which are the Senegalese living in Saint Louis, in the northern part, in Rufisque, in Dakar, and in the island of Gore, which is the first contradiction with the very principle of the Republican 
system. The second contradiction is that the originaire are subtracted from the civil code and they maintain their particular status. They are Muslim, which is a very, very important resource for them. And they will use it in a kind of very paradoxical way. From the French Revolution to 1916, they will fight for political rights, in particular the right to vote for their representative in local institution. And beginning in uh, 1848, the right to send a representative to the French National Assembly in Paris. And from, 19, from 1848 to 1914, they first sent white French representatives. Uh, beginning in the late 19th century, they began sending the group which is called the Métis, I will come to that, uh, to represent them, which is these mixed blood people. And in 1914, for the first time, they will elect a black representative, Blaise Jan. You know, uh, and Blaise Jan will play a key role in negotiating a consolidation of their status of citizen. Because the tension which was maintained before the adoption of the law is a tension which, in which the magistrates in particular will say these people are not citizens because they are outside the civil court. But they had voting rights. How do you reconcile that? People who are allowed to vote, send representatives, be represented, without citizenship right. What Blaisdian did was to consolidate that and maintain precisely this very idea of they are, they have a particular status. And as I say, the particular status is about Islam. And the way they will use Islam is very important to mention. One, it is a very literate Islam. They read Arabic they are part of a discussion, which is the discussion of, of the Ummah, that they are discussing also uh, you know, philosophical text, in particular Greek philosophical text from, 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 from the, the, the Arab trajectory is one of the interesting aspects. And you still have in Senegal people who are philosophers in Arabic, being part of this discussion, which changed, of course, radically this whole debate about African philosophy. You know, in the 70s, you have this debate about was Africans philosophizing or not, when at least in this part of the world, people were discussing Plato probably uh, since the 12th century. So, so this is very something which is quite interesting to deal. But the second aspect which is also an important aspect, and I will come back in this first aspect about you know, this literate Islam, is the importance of the Arabic script to face the Latin script and French as a language. The second aspect, which is also an important aspect, which is still part of the discussion in French, in France, is of course about polygamy. And this discussion about polygamy is key to understand the particular status. Because what I contend is these people use polygamy to show the French that they were not French. They have political right, but they refuse to be assimilated. And the best way to show that you refuse assimilation is to remain polygamist. And they remained polygamist. So, very quickly, this broad discussion to, to show that, again, going back to my project with Fred, 
I'm interested in trying to establish what are the continuity and the discontinuities about uh, you know, the debate on citizenship between the inhabitants. I talked about the colonial civil and military administration, the metropolitan traders, and the magistrates. I'm interested in, in precisely locating this colonial subject as an integral part of the political process. And this is also important because in many cases in the literature, the discussion about citizenship is much more a legal and institutional discussion in which the agency of the colonial powers are much more important than the agency of the colonial subject. What I contend in this presentation is that in the case of Saint-Louis, the habitants actually frame the way in which the discussion about citizenship was conducted. Because they were interested on making sure that the role and location of religion in the public space was debated, but also through the process of debating within their own community and with the French colonial administration, they were producing a civic community and a civic culture. And this civic community and culture is the product of the way in which they mixed, redefined and remixed resources from the local environment which it is the Senegambian environment, the societies which were not yet under colonial rule. The resources of Islam, in particular, they will borrow from the northern region of West Africa, which is uh, Mauritania today, because many of them were not only speaking Arabic and reading Arabic, but they were also fluent in the uh, Mauritanian vernacular, which is called the Asaniya. And this connection with Mauritania helped them also to connect with the wider Muslim world. Many of them actually traveled all over the Middle East. Some of them were going actually every two to three years to Alexandria, to Cairo, and to Jerusalem by books precisely because of their incorporation in a world which was not only limited to their own, but a world which was not also limited to the French imperial world. They were part of a global Muslim world. And such resources are the resources they will use, actually, to, to really produce paraphrasing Mudimbe, their own library. And this library is key to understand what happened to them even today. Because, you know, uh, it's a library which enabled them, as I say, to situate themselves, you know, in different global worlds. The West African, the French, and the Muslim Arabic. And in some cases, it's also included, even in the later period, a quite very good understanding also of the Indian Urdu world. You had, still today in Senegal, people who are writing in Arabic, uh, you know, about, about the Urdu, Urdu world and about Muslim discussion conducted by, uh, by India, which is that... When Senegal became an independent country, for many of them, understanding what is a nation is still a problem. They knew how to fight within empire, but they, were, they did not learn how to fight within a nation. When other Senegalese out of the original space became citizens and began making claims. And this is also something I will come back to 
which is uh, something interesting about even the way in which as historians we are discussing Islam, in particular in West Africa, you know, within these paradigms of Islamization of Africa or Africanization of Islam. Because what we are missing in this discussion is the very fact, at least in this part of Africa, that you have an Islam which are neither Arabic nor African, but which is a literate Islam. And this Islam, in the case of Senegal, is no longer represented because of the focus on the brotherhoods, you know, which actually obscure the very fact that these people were part of a much, quote-unquote, global literate Islam, but a Sufi Islam. So these are the questions I'm interested in. And I'm addressing it in this uh, chapter I'm working on, looking at the life of one of his originaires, whose name is Ahmed Gorejob, who was born in 1846 and died in 1910. He was a trader and a merchant from St. Louis. And for me, he represents really this group of, uh, of the originaires, which are also called, as I say, the habitants, Sometimes also they, are, they call themselves the dominars, the sons and daughters of Saint Louis du Senegal. And, and this is something important precisely because the way in which they fit into this space, which is a colonial space. Saint Louis was an Atlantic enclave, and I insist on that. Uh, showing that it is a creation of the Europeans. And Sally was created in 1650 by the French. It's the first French stronghold in West Africa. And it's attracted people from the neighborhood, the habitants, let's say, these black people. And the majority of them were Muslim. <coughs> but the city also produced a group which is called the Metis, which is the people of mixed European and African heritage. And the group which is among them, you have this very well-known group, which is the group of the Signar, these women who cohabited with Europeans and actually bore this, uh, this Metis. And many of them were, were Christian. And the French did grant citizenship to these groups, to these two groups. And in addition to them, you have a third group, which was the group of the French. And Saint Louis has an urban society, was divided uh, into two groups facing each other. On one hand, the French, the traders trying to establish their monopoly on trade along the Senegalese River Valley, and the Métis, and the originaire who are actually uh, collaborating and supporting each other and trying to keep their actually control on the trade. And as I say, both, uh, you know, the two, one group is Christian, the other is Muslim. And if we pay a little bit of, uh, if we look at the African black group, they are mainly Wolof or Alpularen, which is the people who are speaking Polar. But in this space of Saint Louis, which is very important, it's why I'm insisting on this fact that it is an urban space. What really happened in the interaction between the different groups it is the making of an identity, which is an urban identity, based on Islam and war of Hazan language. And this fusion or this <coughs> interaction, uh, uh, in my view, created what I call uh, vernacular modernity. 
And this vernacular modernity is important because precisely it provided an option which was different from what uh, the colonial administration was proposing, which is assimilation. So, so it, and it's really interesting to keep in mind this kind of tension and competition between a modernity which is a modernity of integration, which is still the, the French Republican modern, and a modernity which is a modernity of fission, of symbiosis, to use a word Sanger abused in his writing. So, 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 and, and, and this is an important... This is an important element to keep in mind. And if we try to understand what is the basis on which precisely the civic culture and community was created, we actually see that Islam played an important role. So why the biography of Ahmed Gorodjob is important to understand the making of his urban civic culture is precisely for many reasons. The first one is he was born in St. Louis, but his trade network developed first in uh, the uh, Middle Valley of Senegal for some years, from roughly 1871 to 1881, before he moved to the Upper Senegal River in the region which was called the Upper Senegal River in Medellin. And his space is a space which was carved by colonial expansion. He literally followed the colonial armies to establish his trade and was able to be a very successful person. And it is possible to write his history based on different archives. The first archives is the family archives, which was kept, which is an oral archive. Why was it kept? Because it is used. It was used in particular by one of his sons as a usable past. In 1960, when Senghor decided to nationalize uh, you know, the, 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 tradings, the peanuts trading system in Senegal and nationalize the economy, one of the reasons he provided was that Senegalese, was complete, Senegalese were completely inept to commerce. They were not good at that. So the state should do the job. Ahmed Gorodjob's son began writing a biography of his father to show precisely that Senegalese were very successful traders. And his father's case was important. He was really not only writing a history, but exhuming a memory for a group which was being pushed out of the political system. And what he used was the oral tradition, the family tradition, but he also used the tradition of the brotherhoods. Gorodjob was one of, the, of these traders who went four times to Mecca between 1880 and 1908. He was going every two years for his book tour, as he called it, to Alexandria, Cairo, and Jerusalem. And he constituted a very, very rich library. And he used to actually lend books to not only clerics from Mauritania, but also clerics from Senegal. And actually one of the most interesting aspects is he's completely forgotten. But the people who are now the most important historical figures in Senegal, the founders of Sufi brotherhoods, are precisely the people he 
used to actually learn books too. He had also played a very, very important role in building the mosque of his brotherhood in the two holy cities, which are the two most important holy cities of Senegal, Tuba and Tuawan. But this brotherhood had kept actually uh, some memory of, of Gorodjob and his role. And this is something which is uh, a basis of actually writing about him. The second archive is his uh, accounting books, which were preserved. And again, it was preserved by his son, the one who wrote the biography, has actually proofs of the success of, of the Senegalese traders. He was linked to these Métis who were the intermediaries between French dealers and Africans. But very quickly, he was able to actually achieve a kind of independence. He had his own boats. He insured his uh, merchandises. But he had also his own accounting firms in Bordeaux, and he used to travel to Bordeaux. This is that his accounting books enables historians to not only understand very clearly his operations, his investment, but also to even understand very well how he was managing his household. Of course, as all salary notables, he was polygamist. And you can trace, actually, the money he was investing because it's somebody who was living, uh, you know, uh, from seven to ten months outside of salary and coming back. So what is provided by the notebooks is precisely, you know, everything he was involved in. And what it shows, which is also very, very interesting in the discussion about Africans and philanthropy, is the fact that these salary notables were able to be part of what we can call good works, a kind of philanthropic intervention which enabled them to contain and fight back Christian charity, which is again interesting for one reason. If you remember John Eilish's book about the history of the African poor, one of the points he's making is philanthropy was brought in Africa by the missions. If you pay attention to these Muslim leaders, and Muslim patron, you see that you had a very specific philanthropic Islamic intervention which has nothing to do with European intervention. In many cases, it was a reaction to it, at least in this case, which is the case of, which is the case of salary. So, the third aspect which seems to be important in dealing with, with this biography of Ahmed Gorodjob and how it is representative is the very fact that he was part of these groups who developed a, a very intense culture of petitioning, sending petition to the colonial administration. working together, discussing, and writing. Not only sending petition, but also going to court, using lawyers. And you have a very fascinating history of Africans who are using tribunals and lawyers. And in the service case is interesting, precisely because of this tension I opened my presentation with. They are claiming to be French citizens. They are claiming to be political right. They are exercising it through election and petition. 
but they don't want the French to step into their domestic private life. For them, civil matters should be under their control. So how do you negotiate that becomes a very, very fascinating aspect. What they did very quickly, and I'm cycling back to the, to the early 19th century, is that in the 1850s, in the context of jihad, the French are facing Elijah Martal, who actually was moving from the south along the river uh, to the periphery of San Luis. He wanted to go back to his homeland and take over and met the French precisely in Medellin in 1854 and was defeated and moved eastward to create his empire in what is Mali today. But provoked a migration of many people of his homeland eastward. And the French were trying to contain the Muslim in San Luis and avoid actually a possible uh, a possible uh, uh, coalition of Muslims in the Senegal colony and, and outside. So they began developing a kind of, of policy they will later call the Muslim policy of France. In the early 20th century, France, France will actually claim to be a Muslim power. To, to precisely try, this is again very interesting when you follow the French discussion today. But it was something which the French insisted on until the end of World War I. Because in the 1850s, it was about cutting support from the colony to Umar. Before World War I, it was trying to make sure that the, the Ottoman Empire would not benefit you know, uh, from the support, with the, uh, you know, benefit from the, you know, get the support of, of, of the Senegalese Muslim. Because, as you know, the Ottoman Empire has this very aggressive pan-Islamic uh, uh, propaganda, and such a propaganda infiltrated through this West Africa, in particular through, you know, the images and lithographs of saints, the history of Islam, which reached Senegal. So, so, so the, the idea of escaping, you know, or, or at least preserving what Chatterjee called the domain of spirituality, that you can negotiate administration, but you don't negotiate the domain of, of spirituality what identify you as different was key. And they did it by maneuvering in such a way that the French, in the context of the jihads of the late 19th century, were forced, actually, to accommodate Islam within the public space. 1857, the French established Muslim courts in Saint Louis. And again, it shows that the Republic sometimes does negotiate. And it was created by the French, and this is an important institution. And the ironic aspect of that, it was disbanded. Muslim courts were disbanded by the post-colonial state in 1960. The second institution the French established, which is still existing, is the Commission for the Pilgrimage to Mecca, 1860. It still exists. The Senegalese government is still organizing 
for pilgrimage to Mecca. And this institution was important uh, because it was believed that if Elijah Umar was successful in his jihad, it's because he was using his pilgrimage to Mecca to, to, to mobilize supporters. So the French offered possibilities for their supporters to do that. And the result is a Muslim literate group which kept itself busy rejecting holy wars and rejecting jihads. And this aspect, I think, created an understanding of Islam in this part of Senegal, which is very different compared to the understanding of Islam of the brotherhoods which developed in the late 19th century. What you have basically is an Islam which is very intellectual, based on a learning, uh, you know, uh, through a network of schools, the schools which were created by the colonial system, and on a culture of debating where you don't have sense or dominant clerics, and an Islam which is a Sufi Islam which is based on the teaching of a saint, on a space which is a holy space, and on a very authoritarian culture of domination, where the word of the saint it never discussed. And it is a culture which is not also a literate culture. It's much more a Muslim culture which is an imagistic culture. Where we, in the four communes, the culture is much more a doctrinal culture. And this is also a tension which is still existing in Senegal between these different between these different between these different groups and this with different with different tradition. So what 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 we see actually in in, in in this in this trajectory of the the, the the four commune people is a trajectory which is defined by negotiation, by contestation. Is also defined by a, what I call a civic culture, which is a culture which is composed and recomposed by uh, a group which is changing not only forms, but it's also changing interest and engagement with engagement with the French. So the important aspect, which is what I would like to, to insist on, is precisely what I have called the good work of, of this community and ways in which they were able actually to form a community. And this is also important in the French context, in which at least according to the narrative of the Republic, uh, the idea of community is not actually taken into account in the creation of political society. What you have in Selwi is basically the creation of a community in relation to the action of to the action of the, uh, of, 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 of the colonial administration. And as I insisted on, they created infrastructures. It's, these people were able to accumulate a lot of wealth. And some of them were very successful. To give you an example about Ahmed Gorodjo, he invested a lot in buying, in buying houses, but also what he really invested on has an important element of his intervention 
is building a mosque in an old fortress and around the mosque building you know apartments linked to the mosque and belonging to the mosque this huge mosque which is still in said had never been inherited by his uh, descendant the complex belongs to the mosque and the rent is used to take care of the mosque and take care of the library and this mosque was used as one of the most important infrastructures for debates among the community uh, with uh, for the members of the community is there that the political question social question were debated it's also where that these rich merchants were able actually to work together in cases of crisis in in 1890 you had this huge famine in uh, uh, in the northern part of senegal they were able to mobilize resources mobilize food and distribute it this is also the place where they were thinking of how to deal with poor people how to deal with handicapped people etc etc what, what what i'm trying to say is that the community defined for itself a mission political social and economic the second aspect which is interesting is the production of what we can call a discourse which is the discourse of his, of the inhabitants about themselves about their role and function in the city and the way in which they were able to successfully manage it and the third aspect which i didn't uh, mention which is an interesting aspect because of the way in which it was it plays a role in their everyday life is the fact that uh, because of their connection with the north with the more society and uh, and and arab society they have a conception they developed a wonderful conception of what is a beautiful woman and how such a beautiful woman should look like which has nothing to do with the way in which senegalese south to senwi developed that which which is very very complex the idea that a beautiful woman is a light skin woman is coming from there the idea of the importance of incense of perfume even in your relation with god is also part of this discussion what i'm saying there is they are able to rearrange you know different libraries and make such libraries their own and they have been able to actually uh, create a world of learning a world of text a world of images which are their own why is it important it is important because it's provide another view of what is called assimilation that assimilation is not necessarily uh, you know colonial subject appropriating the culture of the colonizer but its ways in which colonial subjects are able to cook their own dish and consume it themselves you know without literally in this case paying attention to colonial prescription and one of the most important aspect of his intervention of the originaire was precisely their success in introducing not only the discourse of islam the practice of islam 
but also the institution of Islam in the public space. And, and, and this is important precisely uh, uh, not only in relation to this classical, traditional understanding of French republicanism, but it also shows something which is quite fascinating, the impossibility of the French, in particular the, the mission and the church, to divide this group between Catholic and uh, between Catholic and Muslims. They really held on one idea that they were one community. And what shows it is actually the intervention of the first Senegalese priest, Labi Boala, who wrote a book in 1849 called Esquisse Senegalese. And Boala kept fighting against this originaire, this Christian originaire, who were behaving exactly like the Muslim originaire. They were wearing amulets, using, you know, Arabic script. Their, you know, baptism were exactly the same than what the Muslim were doing. And they were just behaving like them because they were part of the same culture. And Boala kept, and against it, he is also an, uh, an excellent image of the paradox. He kept repeating that Wolof was unable to actually carry the gospel. So he was against translating the Bible into Wolof. And he was you know, an advocate of Latin mass. But at the same time, he was fighting to open high schools for young Senegalese. And he fought so hard against the colonial administration that they finally decided to expel him and send him back to France where he died you know, in the late 19th century. So, and, 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 and Boala's uh, position, you know, an attempt to create a distinctive Christian originaire uh, civic culture and community shows that act, you know the, the, the contradiction and paradoxes of assimilation and ways in which actually the originaire was able using those paradoxes to create not only a space for themselves but to make themselves actors of the public space. Thank you very much.